1: shades off, and the next thing you know, you can see the clock, and you can see, you know, all of it. get up there, Big herd, please. Well, the following program, we thought we'd give you this disclaimer, is an exceedingly bad taste, and quite possibly will bore the, well, it'll just bore you very badly, so we suggest, I mean, you know, being the kind of person you are, I mean, Scarlatti and all that, you know. A tea. Oh, listen! Uh, before we begin, as you know, after all this Monday night, and uh, we would like to, uh, g- uh, we have a straw in the wind. Any of you ex-GIs out there, you may be interested in this. Uh, oh, I don't suppose there's any XGI types out there. Hello, Test. Hello. Oh, I see. Hello, there. We had the wrong thing plugged in. No wonder. For crying out loud, what was I getting? Doesn't make any difference. It wasn't me. I think it was the Armed Forces Network or something. <laughs> But that, nevertheless, uh, uh, for any XGIs we have out there, we have a very significant thing here tonight on this Monday. You know, over the weekend, all kinds of uh, things slip and slide, and uh, begin to slip down. Like the other night, I'm listening to, uh, I'm driving up and way up in, uh, up in uh, Montauk, up here there. Seeing you get all these stations from places like Bridgeport and that. And oh boy, uh, when you get way out, have you ever driven all the way out to the end of Montauk, all the way to the very end? You know, that's the furthest most eastern point of the United States, you know. Yeah. And uh, it gets... Uh, well, that's... I mean, you drive out there, and there's nothing but water there, man. You, if you step off of Montauk and start walking, your hat is going to float. And the next place you're going to hit is going to be someplace like Madrid, Spain. <laughs> or, yeah, I think it is Madrid. If you went straight across, it's uh, it's Spain. It's not England, you know. And you see that those evil, cold, miserable-looking waves coming in. And nothing is sadder than an East Coast uh, surfer. I mean, those little bitty waves. You know, these guys are jumping on these little tiny waves. You know, and, and they're nasty, mean waves. You see, they're not they're not surfer waves. You see, uh, everybody's seen these surfer movies. See. And so you hear these guys holler, surf "Surfs up!" The next thing you know, some guy's hitting his head on the rocks, and, and you know he's being battered to a pulp off. Maybe a four-inch wave, and of course, what makes it even funnier out there is the water's 107 degrees below zero, almost any given time. And here you got to swim through uh, old, uh, old S.O. oil thrums, and that's kind of nice when you start to you know threading your way between uh, tires and stuff. And there was there's one dramatic thing out there along this beach is a tremendous cliff goes straight down, and uh, way out on the end of the island. If you ever get a chance to drive all the way out to the end of Montauk, go out. That's uh, it's very exciting. First of all, there's more wildlife out there than you will find, believe me, on 42nd Street. Of course, there's a different kind of wildlife. Well, I don't know. There's a pretty wildlife on 42nd Street, actually. But, uh, hey, by the way, did you see me on that show uh, It's Hell of a Town the other night? Did you see me do my tap dance? Well, it was fantastic. Just great. Oh, yeah, I whistled and played my thing here and did I'm oh, right in Times Square. But uh, you go you go straight east on... on uh, well, I guess it is east. I mean, you just keep driving... Out towards the end of the island, you just keep going till there's nothing left. The last shopping center is left behind. The uh, the last Raco seat cover joint. Until finally, you see receding in the distance. The last Carvel ice cream joint. The last Dairy Queen, and you know you're you're it's 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 the end. Nothing else left. Nothing but ocean. <sighs> the waves coming in. <sharp> do you mind if I do waves here for you? <sharp> bad, is it? Well, that, that's the way they do, you see. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, somebody, I, I noticed that uh, somebody, uh, we're going to leave behind uh, real remnants of our life, our times, and in strange places. Somebody has pushed what looks like about a 52 or a 53 Dodge, I couldn't tell really, off a cliff down there, and it's sitting on the beach looking out to sea but nothing's left on it the 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 body is gone the seats are gone the tires are practically rotted off and there's nothing but this bare rusted frame sitting there with the engine and the engine's rusted over and the gearshift knob is sticking up and it's still got the uh, the bake light knob on it you know the gearshift the uh, Handle the shaft sticks way up in the air, and that it's all rusted, completely rusted. But by now, you see, be, not only is it rusted, but there has been a uh, a kind of oxidation that goes above rusting, and it's uh, it's kind of coated with this salt oxidation, and it's going to stay there. You can just see it; it's slowly sinking into the sand. And and I, I looked at the thing. There is an instant artifact, a genuine ruin, and all around it are these these washed rocks, thousands and millions of rocks that have been washed for maybe 200,000, 200 million years, and this thing is buried half in the sand, and the waves just keep, just endlessly. And I'm walking along the beach, and it's a beautiful day, and the sun is hanging out over the ocean, and a radar plane goes by, a Navy radar plane, with a big bubble on the top. He's, He's booming over about maybe, at maybe 1,500 feet. He's maybe a half a mile, maybe, oh, maybe more like a mile out to sea, just rolling along. And there's a low haze, and he just cuts through the haze and goes out out to sea and makes a big left turn. Because way down at the end of uh, Montauk, is a radar station sitting right at the very tip of the island, right out at the end. And right next to it is that beautiful Montauk light. you ever seen that Montauk light just going around? Just whoop, whoop. You just see the big, big red, that big white light just keep going. And that's n- nothing out there, absolutely nothing. You, you, could be, you could be 7 million miles from New York. And one night I drove around. There's a there's a kind of looping drive that goes right out. It's the last, most furthest east that you can drive when you get out to the end of the island. I made a loop out there around this little place. There's a sort of a parking lot out there, right in the shadow of the Montauk Light. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, five foxes came just drifting out of the undergrowth. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, sort of low, scrubby pine, real sandy type of vegetation out there and these five foxes just came drifting out and they ran along the road right next to me and they, they kept looking back you could see them looking over their shoulders and the headlights were catching them and they were just gleaming beautiful and they were big full-grown foxes and i'm just cooling around out there and then i i made the turn i came back headed back down the road just right on the edge of uh, of montauk now i'm now i'm on the other side i'm on the on the i guess it would be the northern shore there which is a, this is a little tiny thin point? Is this boring you out there? I mean, I, I, this is such a great place, and so many people have not gone out there. It's about 120 miles from New York, but man, is it worth it? And I, I you know, go out there all the time. And you drift, you drift down. I drifted down after seeing these foxes. A giant deer, big buck, came out and just sort of stood for a second, and whoosh, he's gone. You see a flash of white. You know that little flash of that uh, that tail. He's gone. He's, he's disappeared. And then, then I, you drive about three or four miles in Of course, you're not really, you're not, at no point are you inland, because this, this uh, island out there is so narrow you can practically throw a rock across the whole thing. And here's this little tiny Montauk airport. And uh, I, I, I dig. I think airports are a place uh, that always excites me just because they're there, you know. And I see a guy coming in, uh, I think he was in a Mooney and uh, you see him coming in low with his lights flicking off and on, and he's got he's got a he's got a strobe beacon flashing. He comes drifting in over the wires there, and down below the you see him disappear behind the pine trees. And this is Montauk, way out at the end. And it's uh, I don't know, you know, it's it's uh, especially at this time of the year. Uh, I've been fighting it, friends. I've been fighting it. I've been fighting it. I have been fighting the fact that it is fall. It is. <laughs> Boy, you get out of Montauk, and you know it is fall. Uh, all of a sudden, it's, uh, the temperature must drop 20 degrees. And I was I was listening to a football game that kept fading in and out, and it was it sounded like it was uh, it sounded like it was being announced by a 12 year old kid. And at first, I thought I was listening to a junior high school game being played somewhere off across the sound. And it turns out it's the University of Bridgeport is playing. What was it? Northeastern? Is there is there a, a Northeastern? And they were battling it out, and you could hear the crowd. You hear about three guys. You hear, oh, wow, oh, oh, And then it disappears. Have you ever listened to the little stations when they're doing the, the game? You hear a hum, a heavy hum on the line. Give me a real hum, heard. You can give me a hum, see? Big hum comes on the line, you know. Just just pur- pull the gain up. It's like this all the time. Yeah, he's got a real bad hum. And then he'd say, uh, there goes uh, Robert He He's uh, drifting back. To the 5-yard uh, line. It's a kick. It's uh, down to the uh, 34-yard line. And uh, number 62 uh, had the ball and he fell down. And uh, it's now on the uh, 36-yard line of uh, of UB. It's certainly an exciting game here an exciting game that's going right down to the wire. There's a big cheer going up over on the northeastern side of the uh, stands now. We have a big crowd here tonight. Uh, Charlie, would you say, uh, well, I'd say about that too. And uh, now they're up in formation and uh, it's uh, it's Kuznatsky. He's, uh, fading back, and, uh, he dropped the ball. It's, uh, they're rolling around, and it's, uh, number 12. I believe it's number 12 on, uh, Northeastern recovered. That's, uh, uh, Watanabe, number 12. No, it's number, uh, number 16. He's getting up now, and, uh, well, there's a flag on the play, or somebody dropped something, and, uh, <laughs> it was great. I was listening to this. That's where it was, you know, and I'm, I'm way out in, in, in nothing. There's nothing but blackness on all sides of me. Nothing. There's just nothing out there. And I know that off Montauk, you know, I, I, I look out to that, that water out there, and I know that not too many miles off Montauk, in fact, I think it's just a couple of miles, there's a World War I German submarine... It's lying in the water there. And it's, uh, in fact, a friend of mine dove on it one day who was a professional diver for some geodetic survey or something, just laying out there. And also, there's, there's about five uh, big aircraft engines. They recovered one here a couple of years ago. A DC-6 went in just off Montauk. It's out there in that deep water. And of course, just past Montauk, is one of the great shark areas of the world. There are more sharks, men, I'll tell you. And and uh, and there's one sad thing about Montauk, if I may, if I may carry this out. You you drive that's sad, it's colorful, it's groovy. You, you you drive in this little tiny town, and of course everything in this town opens up at ten o'clock in the morning, and apparently it closes at eleven thirty in the morning. Nothing is ever open except the Dairy Queen. <laughs> and that's the that's the big action in town. The Dairy Queen and the Pizza Joint which is a little tiny place, about the size of a closet. And uh, you drive into town and there's one building sticking up. It's, a, it's eerie. It's, it's the Montauk skyscraper. Have you ever seen that out there, Herb? It's a skyscraper, a genuine <laughs> a building that sticks up. It's, it's right out of uh, Gloria Swanson. It's, a, it's got a little touch of F. Scott Fitzgerald, a little of the Great Gatsby. And um, it's a famous story. You know, uh, I've heard it, uh, you know, talked about once in a while but uh, somebody built this tremendous building out there and it never made it back in the days when somebody thought that new york city was going to be there and they bet wrong and the building sits right in the middle of town there surrounded by the dairy queen and the pizza joint and white's drug store where they're always having a year end sale no matter what time you go there there it's clearance big thing. It says clearance, special year-end, end-of-the-season sale. You know, the season at Montauk is, oh, eight, nine days long, roughly. But uh, I, I, I just thought, you know, driving past the radar station, you could see that big dish going round and round and round out there. These guys are stationed out there. And if you if you drive past quietly and turn off your engine and coast a bit, you can hear the sound of this big big radar installation. You can hear the, the radar hum. You just hear it, and you boom, 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 boom. The generator's going out there. And for those of you who are ex-GIs who might be interested in this, I, I am. And by the way, the reason I'm feeling a, a little bit introspective, it isn't every day that a guy gets a letter from Kathmandu, Nepal. Yeah, you know, all these guys around the station are you know, getting letters from Staten Island and Queens. There's the, <laughs> a letter from... Uh, it says, Jamal Kichapakari Katmandu, Nepal, one of our listeners. And all he writes in it, its if he's one of the spies, see? And this has got a Nepalese stamp, beautiful shot of the uh, Himalayas. And in fact, it looks like a shot of the hump, actually. It looks like one of the planes flying over the hump. Anyway, uh, he he just sends his little note in it, and it, uh, just a little scrawled note. It says, I'm still running. One of the listeners, God, Nepal. I thought, oh man, <laughs> we're all running, man. You ain't alone. And uh, I guess, I guess, going out, you know, it's fall, and going out to the end of the island like that, and uh, seeing this, and uh, just just being there, it's uh, you, you get the, you get a tremendous sense of winter sneaking up. You just can't help it. And did you know that, the, that some of the best shark uh, ga- grounds in the world are just off Montauk? Just off, just right off the end there. They go out and they fish for these giant sharks. And uh, this is big time fishing. And so I came drifting back down that little road past the airport. And I saw that little Mooney coming in over the over these green evergreens. And drove in towards uh, one of the best campgrounds in the country, by the way, Hither Hills, at the... Uh, this this is a uh, no. It's, it's there, and you, you hear the sound of that radar station, and then I, I thought of this note that I wrote in the paper. For those of you who are interested, I just received a bulletin from the uh, from the Pentagon. And this, I know you're interested if you're an XGI. Listen to this, Washington Pentagon, a menu item remembered, if not hallowed, by every soldier and every veteran who ever was in the U.S. Armed Forces, will be missing from chow lines. Next year. Guess what they're eliminating from the mess hall, friends? Well, they don't call it what it's really called. It says word has come down from the Pentagon that chipped beef stew is out. The high-level ruling putting chipped beef stew in the military memory bin with hardtack resulted from two factors. One, soldiers didn't like it. Now they're discovering. (laughs) and get this one it costs too much to prepare listen to this quote and here's a typical army uh, typical army statement Uh, there has been a uh, reduced uh, demand for a chipped beef as the military is wont to call the gooey concoction over the years because of uh, an increased preference by servicemen for meats in ground form it's an actual quote from an official spokesman Boy, is that a gogglely dupe! I never heard it once called uh, called beef stew in the army. Friends had another name. The <laughs> oh yeah, it really did. You, you don't know the other name, Herb? You mean you've never seen SOS on the menu? You haven't. Well, you have encountered it if you have not encountered it by that name. Probably your Aunt Clara calls it something else. But every GI I knew. Called it uh, something else, and I quote Navy Captain James Warren, head of the food service directorate, put it and we quote, "Chip beef stew was just too expensive for what we were getting out of it." Yeah, they were all pouring it in the uh, in that big can in the end when you walk through the mess hall. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's about time I think that. Uh, uh, but uh, that's uh, I I knew guys that got hooked on it. You know the thing about army food is like anything else. You know, you get used to it. Sure, you know, you, you drive your car. you got this clunker car you got out there, you know, and, and you're driving it, and it's got a steady pull to the left. Every time you put the brakes on, the brakes squeal, and it's got that clunking sound in the back all the time, What sounds like something's uh, somebody hit a bicycle in the trunk or something, no matter what you do to it. You kind of get used to this. And ultimately, that becomes part of your total psyche, just like people who learn, you know, people who have a limp, they learn to walk with it, and they learn to work with it, Guys who have bad uh, eyes or something—they learn to work with this. And uh, in the army, we used to look forward in, in a way. I guess it's masochism. Chip Beef. At the—I remember one time standing in a long, long line of guys. The, the one great memory I have of Chip Beef. And I'm not going to—you know—you know what it's called? It's SOS. It was great long line of guys. It's hot. Oh boy, was it hot! It was, you know, it was always hot. Company K was always in places where it was either like 110 degrees or five below zero, and it's now 110, and we are waiting in line, and it's uh, maybe five, six o'clock at night, and so thirsty and smelly, everybody has been caking salt on their fatigues, and just waiting in line for the mess hall to open up. And way at the top of the line, because there's always about six chowhounds that are always at the front of every line. One of them was Gasser. He was always the first guy in line six feet nine, and uh, he had a lot to feed. So he was always first in line. So Gasser's up there looking in through the screen. See, I remember peering at the screen trying to see what they got in there. And all of a sudden he turned. Just one little moment, I remember so clearly, like it's etched on my, my, my psyche. Everybody's standing in line. They're kind of quiet. guys are just sort of thing from one foot to the other. once in a while somebody goes over and drinks from the Lister bag. We had this Lister bag. It's a, a, a canvas bag. It looks like the bottom of a cow. Actually, yeah, it did. It was a great big bag hanging down. It had these four big spigots on the bottom, placed exactly like a cow, and it was hanging from a tree, and they'd fill this stuff up with water, you see. Yeah, it was kind of water, and uh, they put these tablets in it, about 16,000 chlorine tablets in it and other kinds of tablets, which they claim were good for us and would prevent us from getting unhappy in the service. And so they put all this uh, stuff in the water, and you go over there. And it was supposed to get cool. And so, you know, guys, once in a while, guy, by sheer desperation, they'd be driven to drinking it. And he run over and he put his mouth around this thing, and he's down on his knees, <laughs> sucking at the lister bag. Then he gets <clears throat> gets up and runs back, and it's hot. The heat is beaming down, just just tremendous. Everybody's quiet, and all of a sudden, for, out of out of the blue, a tremendous attack occurred. Uh, I don't know whether you spent much time in the tropics, but there's constantly uh, a running drum fire of attacks from unseen things in the tropic. Either it's a fungus, where you get got the fungus in the air. I oh, listen, I knew guys that had... Fun- were co- I, I remember guys who, who literally were covered with so much fungus, Herb, that they were fur-bearing. And uh, sure, I mean, it, it just, you just recover this stuff. And then when you t- you got this fur, you see it's the fungus growing out. All guys used to have like moss growing on them. Yeah, they moss growing up one side. And they used to turn, see, because uh, we all learned in Boy Scouts that the moss is only on the north side of the tree. Isn't that right? And so guys would find moss growing up the south side of themselves once in a while. So they would turn, you know, constantly turning themselves so that the moss was right. You couldn't get rid of it. You learned to work with it. Other guys had athlete's foot that went all the way up to their knees other guys had, t- my, personally, my, my own hobby, my hobby was, uh, was heat rash. And, uh, yeah, I used to have a fantastic uh, case of heat rash. I used to tend it like guys tend the garden. After a while, the heat rash was part of my life, and I'd just sit there and scratch the heat rash once in a while. And, and when you get a particularly good scratch, and you just scratch and it's just really groovy, and uh, the sweat would run down my heat rash in the back, and it would burn and sting. And we're waiting in line at the mess hall. Okay, when suddenly this tremendous attack occurred, just just like out of the blue, just a tremendous pow! Everybody instantly, guys are rolling on the ground and screaming and yelling, ah! Ah! "Hey, what the hell? Why are you! It was like a m- million tiny red hot needles that had been heated were attacking us all over, just and, and you could see nothing. And then, when you look very, very carefully, I don't know whether whether you've ever seen any of these things, tiny, I guess they call them, well, they're not sand flies. They're they're a a type of mite, a, a sand mite, so tiny that they're smaller than the point of a pin, and they're airborne. They fly. They look like little tiny pieces of cigarette ash. So tiny, you can't even believe this thing is doing what it's doing. It's a tremendous pain going up your arm. You look, and there's this little tiny thing. It's a little bitty thing, so little, and you feel sorry for it. And you brush it off, and then there's another one. They're all over you. And so we're all standing there fighting these things, and then just like that, they're gone. Disappeared. And now the company's in an uproar again. Guy's scratching and swearing and muttering Somebody goes over and fills up his canteen from the Lister bag and comes back again. We're still waiting, you see. The chow is now a good forty minutes late, for some reason or other. And Gasser is up on the porch now. He's fought off the sand flies, and he's looking into When suddenly, just out of the blue, beautiful timing, Gasser turns. He's up on, the, up on about nine steps above us, you see. We had these little steps went up to the mess hall, and he's up on the, the landing. So he's looking out of us like it was like our speaking platform. And he looks out all over, over the whole crowd. Everybody's wearing his, his, his GI helmet, nothing but helmet. and, uh, and uh, We had these uh, OD-colored shorts, that's all. GI shoes and dog tags. And each one of us had 17 pounds of sulfur, and sand and mosquito bites on us. That's it. And each one of us had a pair of the most miserable, unbelievable fantastic GI glasses you ever saw. They issued be a pair of GI sunglasses that are totally opaque. Not only that, they, 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 they had this green stuff. I mean, they, they automatically made long green stripes on the side of your head, and, <laughs> the, and the little nose pieces were not actual pads. You know how you, real glasses have pads? They had little augers or little drills that would drill right into your nose, these little pads, and you had to wear them. So we're standing out there Everybody's so miserable. It was as close as I ever saw the company coming to an absolute total mutiny. You know, if Lieutenant Cherry had walked by that minute, I think he'd, he'd been uh, the vultures would have stripped him clean. it have been nothing but this lieutenant's bones under the baking sun. But he knew when to stay out of the out of the way. A really good officer, really good. His his I mean, in, in bad situation, one of the best things that a good officer can do is to know when to be totally. Gone completely. He's, it's, it's a negative quality, and I don't know what he did. There was there were a lot of rumors where Cherry would go. Some said that he went out in back of his tent and buried himself in the sand and pretended he was at the beach. That was just rumor. <laughs> I don't know. I never saw it. Others said that he disappeared and he was a mirage. Some said that he 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 wasn't really there and that that he would materialize only during time to hand out some more. You know what? But he was gone. The company's just standing by the mess hall. Gasser turns, looks down over the crowd, dripping sweat into the unsmiling sands, under the baking sun, under the attacking sand fleas, the lukewarm, corine-filled swamp water. Once in a while you could hear the hum of a rattlesnake in the middle distance, at the bark of a mating bull alligator. And you could hear the fester of the malaria deep in the bones of every third man, not to mention dengue fever, 45,000 other things that they were popping out with down there. Gasser looks out over the crowd and hollers, hey, fellas, hey, fellas, guess what we got tonight? But just like that, it hit everybody. Now, it's not funny the way I tell it to you now. It's one of those moments. Everybody, just in one big roar, pow! Gigantic laughter roared out. Everybody knew what it was. No question. Gasser turns back to the mess hall. He's right by the screen. And you see the screen door now suddenly slam open. Bang! Anger, and out steps Sergeant Kowalski, dressed in his suntans. Apparently, guys, grades, and officers do not get heat rash. I mean, I've often wondered at the physical difference between officers and men. You know, there were a lot of rumors about that. For one thing, uh, I remember one time walking through the the BOQ section of a place where I was stationed, and Zinsmeister turns to me and says, Do you think that they have got latrines over there? And uh, somebody else on the left side says, Oh, no, that's ridiculous. And then the third guy, I think it was Edward, says, Yeah, I understand they even have doors on the stalls, which was too much to believe. I mean, after all, this is the army, see. And so there were a lot of rumors about that, whether officers came from a separate species. And a subspecies right under that were first three greeters because they never seemed to have the same stuff. I mean, you never saw... A lieutenant covered with uh, heat rash and sulfur. Oh, no, they always had these sharp suntans. You never saw them even have salt. We used to have the salt with the cake all over our fatigues. And so when Gasser hollered, Hey, fellas, guess what? Great roar. Fantastic laughter. Just rolled over the company. Just a tremendous. It was the first time the company had laughed in probably six months as a company. Now why it was I don't know have you ever been in in a situation that was untenable untenable but yet you tenanted it because you had a tenon <laughs> I, mean, that's what, I mean there's so many untenable situations that uh, that you have to continue to ten with I mean is it is, is, is there such a verb as tening I mean if it's untenable obviously you should be able to ten something but nevertheless it was untenable for six weeks we've been nothing you know Heat rash, heat, nothing, alligators, mosquitoes, bugs, Lieutenant Cherry, all of it. And all of a sudden, an inane remark. It meant nothing. Hey fellas, guess what's for supper tonight? And it hit everybody just exactly at the right place. Tremendous roar. And there had there, one guy, Samansky ever mentioned Samansky? One guy, Samansky, got laughing so hard that Szymanski couldn't stop laughing. You know, hysterics took over. And Szymanski fell over, and he's laying on the ground laughing. He's just screaming. And he's rolling around on the ground. And of course, everybody's looking at him by now. Everybody's laughing. But here's Szymanski flipping, and his helmet's digging up the sand. He's kicking his feet, you know, and yelling and howling. His dog tags are digging in the dirt. And he's rolling over and over, and he's covering himself with sand because he has all this sulfa sand. And He's rolling. And all of a sudden, Edwards runs over and grabs a hold of him and says, come on, for crying out loud, Sim, cut it out. Szymanski, cut it out. And he couldn't stop. And three guys took him back to the tent. And you could hear him in the distance, roaring and screaming. As far as I know, he screamed and roared all night. But I was on the other side of the company area. I didn't hear it. But I did know that he screamed and roared when they took him away. This was one of those insane moments. I think everybody was half hysterical. And all the while, the great big old radar set we had, that giant monster with that huge set of dipole antennas, that giant dish just kept rolling over and over. And we're rolling on the ground screaming because Gasser simply said, Hey, fellas, get what's for supper tonight. Well, its I can't explain it. It wasn't funny. Well, that door slammed open and another guy thought it wasn't funny, too. The door slammed open, and Kowalski comes running out, Who's the first sergeant. Apparently, in the first three grades, you see, the point of breaking goes the other way. So instead of breaking by laughing, they break by flipping. So the door slams open. Pow! Ooh, as he bugged. He slammed that door open. Bang! And he stood out there with those green glasses. He wore these green Air Force ties, And everybody's quiet. Except for one guy. Back in the tent, you can hear Szymanski. <laughs> he is flipping back there. He's, as far as I know, out of his bird. They're pouring water on him now. And hit them on the head, trying to get him to stop. And Kowalski just stood out there. The heat. In his pressed suntans with these beautiful stripes. He had these stripes that lit up, so he had them all wired with neon and stuff. And he's standing out there in those green glasses. I'll always remember him. He's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He was 5 feet six and a half inches tall, weighed 178 pounds. He was built like a fireplug with feet. Sharp. He slept in his stripes. He had them tattooed on him. And he's standing out there, looking at the company. Doesn't say a word, just looks. You could see those glasses glinting. Just looked, but the company knew it was a strange moment. It was us or them. We just stood. You could hear the flies buzzing, and the radar set humming. And Kowalski then steps back into the mess hall and slams the door. And then the chow line started to go through. In silence, every guy's got his tray, and there, back of the, the big serving hot plate, the KPs, were dishing out the SOS, the SOS that had made us laugh so much we almost flipped. And standing down at the end of the chow line was Kowalski with his arms folded, with the mess sergeant. And by the way, we had the only mess sergeant, I believe, in the entire U.S. Army, certainly in the U.S. Signal Corps, that cried. Our mess sergeant cried all the time. Yeah, I remember one night I was on KP. It was like 10, maybe 11 o'clock at night. And I remember I'm back there with, a, with another guy. I remember a red-faced guy that was in our company just for a week. And he was a sad one. He'd gotten the highest AGT score, that's the Army General Classification Test score, that's like the IQ, ever recorded at some strange place like Fort Calhoun, Arkansas. And he was just one week. And you know why they got rid of him? He passed out three times in a row, just standing at attention. He'd just fall over. I think it was too much for him. And so, he's down on his knees one night with me, and we're scrubbing the floor of the kitchen. That's always the last thing you do when you're on KP. You're just about ready to cork off. And I'm down on the floor there scrubbing away. Got these big GI brushes and the GI soap. And I look back over my shoulder and I see the mess sergeant. And he's sitting at one of the tables and he's crying. I'm just crying. It looked like, oh, I was insane, you know? It's, it's like seeing a grizzly bear whining, you know? He's crying. And big tears are coming down and he's looking in at the two of us well then he sees me looking at him and he stopped crying instantly he's come on out get moving I want to see nothing but elbows so I go back down and I'm showing him a lot of elbows and of course all the rest of it and if you have any chick around there and you're an XGI you'll tell her what the rest of it but then, as soon as I bend back over and start to clean up the floor with this red-faced guy who got the highest AGT score ever recorded in Fort Calhoun, Arkansas, remember his name was Howard, I hear behind me, he's back crying again. Well, I went back to the barracks that night, see, and I said to one of the guys, I says, hey, do you know the sergeant, the mess sergeant, did you ever, any of you guys ever see him cry? And somebody sits up from his bunk about three bunks down. And he says, yeah, I thought I was going out of my bird. Yeah, he was crying the other day when I was on KP. And so everybody started to exchange crying stories. <laughs> I don't know what his secret sorrow was, but our secret sorrow was him. And so we're standing in line going through the mess line. And Kowalski, the first sergeant, is standing next to the mess sergeant, who is looking like he's about to cry because somebody laughed at his SOS. I don't know. There was something about him, and there was something about Kowalski. They seem so sad this day, and we seem so on top of it, because we laughed. I mean, the worst thing a mob can do is laugh at people. You know, if I were ever going to, uh, to run a demonstration or a riot, I think people make a mistake by throwing rocks through windows and that. That doesn't do any good. I mean, that doesn't really make people mad, that just bugs them. If you really want to make them mad, just stand and laugh. Oh, boy. Oh, you want to kill. And we were on top of it. And we just walked through the child line. Everybody knew it. And the KP's are saying nothing. And they're just laying that old S.O.S. out. You plop, plop, one after the other, plop. And I got my canteen cup, and they filled it up with the Purple Death. We had this uh, grape Kool-Aid that was fermented or something that they gave. We called it the Purple Death. The Purple Death and S.O.S., and candied stewed beets. That was the supper that night. So we're going, yeah, I don't know why they bought it a candy. So we're going through <laughs> the chow line. The temperature's 400 degrees in the mess hall. And everybody is sitting at the, at the table. Absolute dead silence. After the outbreak of laughing. And you hear just nothing but the sound of pots. Guys eating, digging pans, clinking on the spoons the Purple Death. By the way, purple death used to be great. I used to have this Parker fifty one pen. And once in a while I'd use it to write home with, you know, you'd just fill it up and you'd write. It was great. It was the only trouble was it was indelible. If you ever got the stuff on you, forget it. I mean as far as I know, I've got a purple stomach now. Deep inside of me from the purple death. And so we just eat. And then somebody started a snicker. Just, just snicker. You know that snicker? Another one. Fifteen or twenty guys now are snickering. And Kowalski's walking up and down the middle of the aisle, looking at everybody. His glasses gleaming. A couple more snickers. He turned. He whirled. You know, it's very hard to tell where a snicker comes in a mess hall. you seen prison pictures? All those guys sitting there, bending over their fatigue, slopping down the slop, right? Well, that's the way the mess hall looks, see? And every time somebody snickered, he'd be behind, he'd be turning he'd whirl. Guys are digging in, eating the S.O.S. And, of course, we had a tradition in the company. Whenever we got S.O.S., nobody ever asked it. We used to pour it all in the edible garbage can. We had two, two cans of garbage. One was called edible, and the other was inedible. And, boy, if you were ever caught throwing S.O.S. in the inedible garbage, which was where it belonged, in the inedible garbage can. I mean, it was worth your, you know, what? And so this night, everybody eats his SOS, right down to the last bit. Gasser steps up and he says, "Say, hey, uh, Sergeant, is there any more uh, a creamed chip beef? It's certainly a delicious stew you're serving tonight. And I would like some more of that delicious uh, purple beverage that you're serving. I believe it's a uh, a raisin beverage, isn't it? The fermented the uh, uh, Kool Aid raisin. It's very good." And behind them comes Zinsmeister and Edwards. And that night, everybody finished everything. And every time a, a guy would come up for seconds, Kowalski would get madder. We were bugging them by doing exactly what they always wanted us to do. There was a big sign that says, uh, Take all you want to eat, but eat all you take. And that night, they cleaned up all the SOS, cleaned up all the uh, canned stewed beets, drank down 7,000 gallons of, uh, the Purple Death. Somebody, I know at least three guys, three guys, even went back for thirds and fourths on the Purple Death. Of course, they paid for it the next day, but some guys got more guts than sense. And once in a while, off in the distance, you hear Szymanski, hee-hawing in his tent, still flipped out, SOS, we're going to miss you. I'm sorry to see you go. In fact, we even had a tune called the S.O.S. Blues, which I cannot sing on the radio, because the radio is the radio, friends.